Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And man, I'm excited because today we have Joel Farrell. He's branch manager. He's been in the business for 15, 16 years, something like that. I can remember exactly, but I'm excited to dive in. He's doing some pretty cool things on social media, running a podcast. So welcome to the show, Joel. Super excited, man. So let's rock and roll. I'm pumped too. Thanks for the invite. And like, the first thing I want to say is like, I'm so damn blessed to fall into the mortgage industry. I was 22, 23, you know, got an economics degree at a good school and, you know, working at a melting pot in 2005 and six. Nice. And I had a regular come in that said, Hey, you know what? She brought her kids in for report cards. We had a good report. And she'd always ask for me, request for me. Like, hey, finally, she's like, you know, I'm going to get you a job. I'm like, okay, that's cool. So it's Citigroup, it's mortgage. I don't know what a mortgage is, but I'll go apply. You know, we do an interview and like fast forward the clock. Holy shit, am I so blessed. Like this industry has given me so much knowledge and just preparedness to be able to invest in real estate, to build a business, to connect with people. I just turned 40 this year. And like, I'll talk a little bit more about it down the road, but like, I'm just so blessed. Like this industry is so amazing in terms of what you can do with it Mm -hmm. and help people and learn about finances and building wealth that like, this is the most important year that I've ever seen in this industry because so many people are struggling with the amount of transactions that are down and the cream always rises to the top. People that aren't investing in their time and their resources into building business and doing things the right way are going to be left behind. So this is just such an important time to be talking about this stuff. Yeah, absolutely, man. And so obviously, you know, it sounds like you started kind of in a, maybe in a little bit of a tough market right there, you know, early on. How's it kind of been? What's the journey been like over the years, kind of, you know, from beginning to where you are today? And what's that sort of look like? The first thing about kind of my business is like, I've been going against the grain for a long time. Like, and it started at Citigroup, you know, working in a call center. We were working with financial advisors. First, I didn't even know what a mortgage was, right? Like here I'm talking to financial advisors and their clients and people would have high net worths and learning stuff a fly. But the territory from a geography standpoint was, you know, different states. So I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. And my territory was Ohio and Michigan. And, you know, I can tell you 74 cities in Michigan because I've done so many damn deals up there in a short period sure. of time years ago. But obviously, even you're talking about originators, originators, you know, you're talking about doing business locally in their backyard in their city to mm-hmm. be able to go to an open house, go network with realtors, et cetera, et cetera. And same thing with realtors. Realtors are going to be even more hyper local. Then I got out of Citigroup in 2011, I think is what the time frame was. And you know, back in those days, after the 0809 crash, like from a unit standpoint, we were closing 40 units in a month, 50 units in a month across different state lines and whatnot. And, and you know, making a certain dollar amount per unit. You know, if you were making low six figures, mid six figures, you were doing great. But it's a different ballgame as opposed to going and getting your business. Right, right. And so 2010, 11, I went to a bank and you know, self-source your business and thinking, I'll be able to turn business and make it happen. And holy shit, was I smacked across the face. It took me right. months to kind of, you know, figure things out. And high level wise, I got into a niche working with a lot of military clientele, doing a lot of VA loans in kind of 12 and 13. That's kind of where sort of kind of really getting traction of where my direction was going to go. And I think in those two years, consecutive, I closed $60 million on my own, like no team, just, you know, a lot of it was refi. So take that with a grain of salt. Sure. And then in 2014, moved to a different bank, 
a local bank in St. Louis and then kind of started doing things again and building and established a relationship with a builder in Maryland, Virginia, DC area. And just again, this is all across state lines. My clientele at this point in time is DC, Virginia, Carolina, Florida, Texas, California, just all the places. They're completely going against the grain. Now we're not talking about like paid leads. We're talking about all just relationship. Sure. But like 12 and 13, like I did buy leads and I made cold calls. That's how I built that business, cold calls, and then kind of drifted into mailers. That's awesome because like, I'm a big proponent of like you're licensed in the whole state. At the very least, do business across the whole state. So many loan officers shackle themselves to this little tiny radius because like I got to be belly to belly with people. It's like no, you don't. Especially now, like maybe it was probably harder for you. Like now we have Zoom. I built my whole entire business off of Zoom. My whole entire team is. I have an office here, but not a single employee is here. I have people in LA, in Austin, Texas, in Idaho, in South Carolina, or no, sorry, North Carolina, like all over the U.S. in the Philippines, in Mexico, like. There's no reason to do things locally, especially in the day and age where like you could pretty much be belly to belly on a Zoom call. Totally. There's just so much more opportunity. And, you know, as my career went on, it transitioned into Fairway Mortgage and put a branch here and et cetera. A little bit of a different business model in terms of just our value proposition. But yeah, like talking to realtors every single day in Maryland, Virginia, Carolina, Florida, like, you know, obviously good years in 2021, but like working at a company like Fairway, 90% of our business is purchased. We're not really focused on refis. Sure. And it's actually an important part of the business, but like my entire vision of opportunity is completely changed in the last 15 months with what we do in our career and what we are bringing to the table in terms of helping people get ahead, save money, build wealth. And that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, I love that, man. And what did that look like? Because it sounds like you were doing mostly refis. I mean, call centers typically do refis. I actually, I really think that a lot of mortgage loan officers like to talk trash about call center lows or headset mm-hmm. jockeys. Like, And I just talked about this on the last podcast, but they sell the crap out of almost every loan officer that's boots on the ground type of loan officer. They get taught sales at a high level because you're talking to people that don't know, like, or trust you. It's a very different skill set. And the fact that you've done cold calling and that you've done, you know, any sort of lead generation, that to me tells me that you are a savage at sales because that takes a whole nother level of sales mastery to convert those types of people. And so many times in this industry, well, one, they want to say they're not salespeople, which they are. I mean, you can be an advisor and a salesperson. Like it's, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't sell people. Like you're the leader and that's what sales is. So I love that that's kind of what you've done. And so, but how did you transition from that refi to the purchase? You know, every time I've seen the guys that go from refi to purchase, they always seem to go back to refis because it's just such a longer burn to purchase. But I'm a big purchase guy. I love purchase. I mean, like in 2016, I think I closed 89 million. I mean, rates were just disgustingly good. And we did a lot of VA refis, but like, my network was growing. My people were coming back to me for, as they were transitioning or buying. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I was able to build some networks of realtors along the way. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when I transitioned to Fairway, that was really kind of the springboard is I had this group of realtors in different parts of the country that I was able to continue to stay in touch with and add value. And, you know, working for a mortgage company versus a bank, there's just so much more that you can do to be able to add value to right. that group in terms of just sure. marketing, creativity, dollars that you can spend to help, you know, buy leads and just different things. So like, that was kind of the thing, but you know, the lead generation stuff, you're talking about making hundreds of calls a day and for getting rejected over and over and over and just continue to do it. And then all of a sudden, like you see successes, you see it's working, it's a numbers game and, you know, counting to how many no's you get before you get, I mean, all, all that stuff, obviously the business manager closing the deal manager, but like when you can do that and then actually see the success of it and get past it where 99% of the people can't do it or won't do it or stop because they don't see results. That mindset, that courage, that confidence, it translates into things that you do in your future. And like, so for me, I'm calling a real estate agent to help them 
build their business or be the person you know they come to when their deal dies or I'm their fourth person on the bench. I don't care. I'll just stay in touch with you. I'll be the person on your bench. It's cool. And then six months later, I'm their go-to because I stayed in touch with the person. When you have that fearlessness and have that ability to continue to stay in touch with people and add value in some kind of way, that's stuff that transcends. I love that, man. It's funny because I was just going back to a Todd Duncan episode that we had done, I don't know, 40 or 50 episodes ago. And he talked about that. He talked about this person who said, oh yeah, you know what? I'm very loyal to my person. And he followed up with this person for, I think it was 14 or 15 months, something like that. Just continue to give value, 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 value. And then, you know, at one point that lender dropped the ball, cost the real estate agent, something like 30 or $40,000 in commissions. You know, the deals didn't close. I don't know exactly what happened, but cost them a lot of money. And then all of a sudden they were sending all the deals to them. And, you know, I think they ended up closing like $60 million in transactions or something like that. So like became a very, very healthy partnership. And so many people are giving up when they have one call or it's a 90 days, like, oh yeah, it's not working. It's been 90 days. Like what is 90 days in the grand scheme of things? Nothing. Giving up on something in 90 days is like the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. And people do that all the time. It's wild. It's so true. And the business right now, I mean, I think I was looking at the numbers recently, like 0809, the number of supply of inventory versus today, I think it's like five to one, like we're at almost right. all time lows of the amount of transactions. So everyone's fighting for a smaller, you know, right. high, so to speak. And my platforms, you know, strive for 25 is the name of the podcast, the name of Instagram, all the platforms across, you know, it's really geared towards, okay, how do you get ahead in this crazy environment where the cost of living has gone up? People want to talk about, you know, cutting your Starbucks coffee or doing a budget. That's not going to get you anywhere. Like right. maybe a little bit, but like the people that I'm seeing get ahead are the ones that are focusing on increasing income, building an income stream, a side business. And, you know, on my platforms, I use the term stair step method. And this is something that I personally use to jumpstart my portfolio. I bought a house, low level, lived in it for a couple of years, saved up all the next one, a little bit of a higher price point, turned the one into rental. Do that a couple of times. If someone buys four properties in my book, how literally anyone can become a millionaire, I kind of uh, give a parable on one of the stories like 150, 250, 350, 450 of purchase prices over eight years. If someone can do that, that's a $3 million portfolio when all said and done, all by knowing the formula, putting the work in, saving, and then buying the next one. If you could just break even on cash flow, it's a $3 million portfolio. That's massive versus somebody you know who decides that they're going to rent and, oh, you know what? Owning is not for me. And like, that story is kind of compiled from multiple real life examples of people that I've worked with and also myself. And, you know, one of the people that story is revolves around, you know, they're making $40,000 a year at a regular job, nothing crazy, college degree, and they had nothing to cut. And literally to this day, they've got four properties and they have a multi-million dollar portfolio because, okay, there's nothing to cut. Well, I want to get into real estate. I want a portfolio. I don't want to be working for someone else's dream. I want to build my dream was their mindset right. and they didn't stop. They got a second job, started stockpiling cash and then on we go. I love it, man. And so I, I love that you have a podcast. We were talking you know, off air that you have some other strategies that you're doing. So talk a little bit about some of the things that you're doing. Cause uh, you know, obviously the sort of premise of the show is flipping the status quo on agents. And I know you talk about being able to generate your own deals to give back to agents. So talk about some of the strategies you're using to do that. I'm wondering, is the podcast one of them or is the podcast kind of a more of a passion project? Or what does that look like? Yeah, the podcast is more of a passion project. I should probably be using it more strategic, but I haven't gotten there yet. But like, this is kind of where I'm at with my business. The three tranches of deals that are coming my way, people that are reaching out to me for my content, they want to do deals is first time home buyers. Okay, obvious. The second are investors, people out there looking to do a DSCR loan or, you know, hey, I have a sizable 401k, but no real estate It's time to get in the game. Let's go buy our first deal. And then the middle tranche is people that have to do something, whether it be divorce, death in the family, et cetera. So I'm kind of crafting my content on that. 
The biggest separator in terms of taking control of your database is every single time you talk to somebody is planting the seed for the next conversation. Right. And asking good questions, asking the right questions that uncovers, well, what are they working on? What's the next goal? What's the next mission that they're trying to do? Well, you know what? Like job's great. You know, family's great. Everything's cool. Okay. What else is going on? Like, you know, how's the space? How's the deck? How's it? And you uncover things that they're working on. And, you know, there's certain people that, Hey, I do want to get a better house or a bigger space. Okay. Well, is the right thing for you to do a renovation and maybe do a HELOC or is it to maybe buy the next house? And Oh, hey, you know what? Like I had got a hit on my credit scores and I scores suck right now. So, okay, well, let's, let's talk about this. Like, okay, well, let's work on a plan. Let's work for the future. Or, hey, you know what? Like, I don't have any money. I do want to be able to buy the next house. Okay, well, you know, what are you passionate about? Is there a side hustle that you maybe want to dig into? Well, let's talk about that. So wherever they may be in their current journey, we see so much. Loan officers are some of the most talented people out there in terms of analyzing deals, getting tough deals done, how people with the finances. There's nobody out there that sees someone's finances in such up close and personal yes. open book than a loan officer. We are one of the most valuable resources in someone's life because we have full access to be able to advise. And not only one, do we not you know, utilize that type of skill and opportunity as well, but like we don't value ourselves enough or how good Agreed. we are. And I think Agreed. that's a, another example, but like talking to somebody, okay, this is the plan. We're going to work on a credit building. We're going to work on a side hustle, whatever. And then me going down this path of social media and uncovering and seeing all kinds of people doing crazy things, building income streams is giving me extra context to be able to relate to somebody, no matter where they are on their journey, 22, 62, whatever, I can relate to that person in some way and then teeing it up for the next conversation. And one of my favorite questions, and this is one of the questions that just works better than anything I've ever had in my entire career is, Hey, Johnny, Joe, whoever you are, if the perfect property lands in your lap today, what would that type of property be? And if it's an investor, they'll give you an example. If it's a primary home that needs to move up, they'll give you an example. Okay, cool. So if I find that property because of my off-market context, is it okay to reach back out to you and then talk about it? Okay, cool. Okay, well, if that happens tomorrow, like, do you know what we need to get you ready? And just whatever the conversation leads to, but like those types of questions and teeing up for the next thing and adding value, that's some of the stuff that I do that I can stay in front of my database. And you know, this year sucks, right? From a number standpoint. However, you know, probably doing better than most than the average person. Yeah, yeah. I love that you're planning this season. One of the things we coach on is if we were to find you the right house at the right price point and the right payment, how soon would you want to move? Instead of asking, oh, what's your timeline? Because you ask, what's your timeline? They're going to be like, oh, it's six months, 12 months. I don't want to buy in this market. Who cares? Like, you know, if we were to find you the right house at the right price point with the right payments, how soon would you want to move? All of a sudden, instead of saying six months, they're saying, oh, I'd do that today. Yeah, of course. You know, would you break a lease if you found the right property today? Yeah, probably. Right. Like, and again, that comes down to like, are you a leader? As a loan officer, or are you just going to let the consumer who knows nothing about anything take the lead on this transaction? So I do love that you're calling them, you're planting the seed. It's a consultative approach. And so many people come into these things as a transactional approach. I did a podcast with guys from Monitor Base, and they talked about 81% of people that do a loan end up working with someone else on the next loan. The other stat that they talked about was the average home buyer buys a home every 11 years, right? So they buy a home and then 11 years later, they buy another home. In the middle of those times, they typically refi two times. So that means there's four transactions in 11 years. That means most loan officers are missing out on most of those four transactions because they're not keeping in touch with their database. They're not following up. They're not asking questions. They're not analyzing. They're not showing them how you can buy more houses. And I think that's missing a massive opportunity. I mean, again, going back to Todd Duncan, he talked about like, you could have a database and you know make a million dollars a year. 
just by calling your database. And most people aren't doing that, which is wild. It's so true. Like, what are you doing with your day? I mean, there's only so much content you can put out there. There's only so much stuff you can be doing meetings. Like, I should be on the phones all day. There's not enough deals out there to be not being on the phones all day. Yeah. Well, if you've ever read the book, Fanatical Prospects, and he talks about yeah. that, right? Like the golden hours and stuff like that. Like you should be doing revenue generating activities in the majority of your revenue, especially if you're a salesperson, especially if you're new into sales and you're trying to get more business. So talk about your content, man. So if you're able to generate inbound leads, it sounds like from your content, this is social, this is Facebook, this is Instagram. Where are you placing these things? Like, what does that sort of look like? To make a long story short, so I'm posting content across multiple platforms. So Instagram, the Strive for 25 Instagram page is kind of my main place. I do have a personal page, YouTube shorts, the podcast on all platforms. TikTok is flowing over. Of all the actual return on time, I'm getting probably the most in terms of just focusing on the actual business of mortgages and leads is coming from Facebook. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I went into this process, the story that I tell a lot is a story about The Rock. The reason that pushed me kind of out of my comfort zone to go down this path was hearing a story about The Rock and him kind of having this world-class like launch of his tequila, Terramana, I forget right. the name of it. Right, like, right, right. Number one launch of an alcohol brand in history. And this dude, The Rock, what does he know about alcohol or tequila or launching a spirits brand? Well, it's not about that. It's about his digital brand. And like people right. love him. They know him for 15 years and his journey from movies and wrestling and all these things. And so when he launched something, they're buying it because of him. And like- right. Something just clicked in my brain. I was ready to receive that information at that moment in time. Okay, now I get it. And so I kind of went down this path. I went down this path thinking, oh shit, okay, I'm going to go do this social media stuff to go get leads. That was my initial mindset. And probably about three months, four months in, I started to realize that that was a byproduct of a long-term approach. But I think the way that I would describe it differently, especially the podcast part of it, podcast part of it, I would say like the biggest benefit is doors, right? Doors that can be opened that you could never open. And that's the one thing that I look at differently. And the second thing is when I say Facebook, people I see out there just randomly that I haven't seen them. I'm like, oh, dude, I've seen your stuff all the time. Good stuff. I love it. Mm -hmm. They don't comment. They don't like it, but they see it. Right. And the one thing that I would say that's unique about Facebook versus the other stuff, you can have catfishes on Facebook, right? But like typically, like you can tell if that person's a real person or not a real person. It's like if you're friends with somebody on Facebook, you probably know who they are. They have mutual friends or whatever. You can kind of verify who they are. Instagram may or may not be like, a little bit of a less connection. Right. So like when you have somebody that's seeing your stuff or you're connected with it on Facebook, it's probably getting more chances of a real interaction or real traction. Honestly, should be doing more of, you know, Hormozy talks about you can't do a hundred reach outs in a day. You'll never sell shit. Well, that's what I wrote down to myself in a roundabout way. I look at this every day. Oh, um, wow. Just that reminder. If you can't do a hundred reach outs in a day, you're never going to sell shit. But like, I should be reaching out more on Facebook Messenger, the people I already know and asking questions, you know, open-ended questions. And I'm in this, I feel like a blessed position that I'm going down these paths, learning about social media and podcasting and finances and real estate and entrepreneurs. I'm talking to all these cool people. Like I just interviewed a professional soccer player. Never would have been able to do that without a podcast. I'm going to be interviewing next week a professional Hall of Fame women's basketball player that I never would have been able to do. Like I'm in this blessed position to be able to have these cool conversations. So like, how would I not want to try to add value to the next person and help the next person out, wherever they may be, whether it be motivation or tactics or whatever. And so now outbound, that's the part where I need to be doing more of. I track my stuff, doing 100 reach outs every single day, which is what I should be doing. If you try doing 100 reach outs on Facebook, you may get banned. So be careful. And I know that because I don't know if you're familiar with what a two-step post is, but basically you make a post and say, hey, I got this training on X, who wants it? And then have people comment and then you shoot them a message. It was a training that I was doing and I sent 40 DMs in like a, I don't know, it was probably like a 15 to 20 minute period. And Facebook basically shut me down yeah, for seven man. days. So yeah, you got to be careful. 
Yeah, no, it's awesome. I love the concepts that you're talking about because it's true. Like, it's funny that's how we met was on social media and just, you know, you putting out value and me, you know, putting stuff out and then being like, oh, you know what? Joel puts out some good stuff. Like, I should have him on the podcast. Oh, he has a podcast. Even better. Let's definitely jump on a podcast. And, and I love that you talked about the platform too because, like, I interviewed Todd Duncan. I've interviewed some pretty cool people on this podcast. Having a platform is a massive opportunity. And I think it was one of the guys that had a TV show. He talked about this concept. He said that when he had a TV show, Anybody he called would pick up the phone. And as soon as he went off the air, all of a sudden he didn't have that power anymore. He'd call people and they wouldn't pick up the phone anymore. And so that is the power of having a platform like a podcast is like you get the exposure and you get to be in front of cool people and have cool conversations. And selfishly, this is one of my favorite things to do is do podcasts and talk to cool people. You know, not like a huge moneymaker or anything like that. And honestly, I've invested considerably amounts of money into this. But as you mentioned, it's a massive, it's a passion project for me. But now I have almost 100 episodes that I have content that I can post across all the platforms. So, you know, I'm really using it at a much higher level than I ever had before. And thanks to obviously AI tools, I don't know why I said obviously, but thanks to AI tools, I'm actually able to do a whole lot more with social media and videos and things like that because it makes it so much easier to put out content now because you have access to tools that can help you think about ideas and things like that. So, man, I love the things you're doing on social. For loan officers that are maybe struggling in this market, like what's like a piece of advice for something like that? Yeah. Everybody's struggling, I guess. There's kind of two different lanes that I would say are important. One, like if you're not doing social media right now, it's okay. The bus may have started leaving the station, but it hasn't left you behind all the way. Like there's still room and space and time to get in the game and do it. Because at the end of the day, the second part of it is like, one thing I still need to be doing more is like framing my content in terms of the voice, like talking to your audience one-to-one, like, right. hey, you may be thinking about buying a house. The biggest struggle that I see for people that want to buy a house that aren't ready, the biggest limiting factor is having the money saved. So if you have questions about that, I've got some tools and resources I can help you, you know, get there faster. The voice, like talking to that person one-to-one instead of a talking head, right? That third person type of mentality, like doing it and doing it and doing it. And it's not about like the results. It's the process because you can't get to 80 episodes without 34 episodes or 40 episodes. And that middle lane, you know, like if you post a reel every single day for 24 days and don't see results, oh shit, you know, this ain't working. I have second questioned myself so many times along the way, like what the flip am I doing? And then the people around you, like maybe 9.30 and I'm working on something, honey, come to bed. And yes, quality time with your spouse or kids are all stuff's important, but like I'm on a mission. So it's like, I need to get this done because if I don't, I would have break the chain. And it kind of goes into a whole thing about atomic habits and two minute rule, something to help me. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, like I just turned 40 this year. I've got four year old twin boys. When this whole thing started, they were, you know, two and a half. And I saw the writing on the wall in May of 22. Like this is going to get bad fast. We've been in the industry long enough. Like, okay, I see what's going on. You know, locking rates into threes in December. And then by May and June, it fives and six. Like, okay, this is going to get bad. With the whole systemic situation with the Fed and pumping right. money in. Right. So, okay, I know I need to be doing more of this. This is after the, after the kind of the whole rock scenario of kind of buying into it. But it's like, okay, I know that I need to be working on this. You know, mortgages are tough right now. I'm spending more time working on the business. And so the time that I was putting towards the platforms was when the kids went down at night. So 8.30, 9.30, whatever. And so there'd be days that I would do it and days that I wouldn't do it. And up and down, up and down. And I was just that anxiety, the stress, the pressure, like, I know I need to be doing more. It was killing me. And so kind of that point in time, you know, I revisited Atomic Habits, was reading it. It's like, oh, two minute rule. Okay. I needed something to take the pressure off. Like right. a little bit is actually enough. And so like building that habit, building that 30 days of continuously, building the subconscious the ability to be able to do something over and over and over. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to put on the timer of two minutes. 
I'm going to do a couple things and I'm going to turn it off and I walk away. And that was the most foreign, weird thing that I've ever done. Like I'm sitting in my computer, timer going, did the two things and then left. And then did it again. And then I did it again. And then I did it again. And it started to kind of, okay, I'm going to do more. I'm going to do more. And after a week, you know, sitting there doing that half hour, an hour, whatever time of night. And then by the second week, something crazy happened that I did not expect at all. Like emotions that I was feeling two weeks before was stress, anxiety, and fear and doubt turned to us fucking rock. I was learning to love the process and I was ready to mm-hmm. go. And like, you can't get there without process. So like the results are important, but the process is just so important. And I don't think people talk enough about the process and how it can change who you are. I want to touch on this because this was a huge realization for me over the last 18 months as well. And I actually have done a pretty deep studies on this and watched a ton of you know research on it and videos and things like that. And there is this concept that so many of us do is we tie our dopamine releases to the results, right? And so, so many of us get to this sort of level like, okay, well, I want to hit this level of income, right? Or I want to hit this level of revenue. And so we get there and that's our dopamine release, right? And so then all of a sudden you crash. Yeah, I don't remember who was talking about this, but there's maybe it was Andrew Huberman or one of these guys that, you know, talking about that. And it was just like, if you tie your dopamine release to the process, you're never going to burn out like that because you actually are falling in love with the process. That's saying it gets said over and over and over again, fall in love with the process, fall in love with the process. And I heard that and I thought, whatever, cool. But I realized I really wasn't falling in love with the process. I was falling in love with, oh, I'm getting closer to that thing in the future. And so even going to like, I think it's Simon Sinek or the infinite game, right? This whole principle of like, we're not in this game to win. We're in this game to stay in the game. Like, we're not playing a game to win. We're playing to literally just stay in the game. And the people that are playing that game are hard to beat. And they're impossible to beat because they're not playing to win a game. And when you win something, let's call it business. I want to be the number one, you know, originator. Well, then what? What happens after that? What do you do after you become the number one originator? Right? Like, is this in volume? Is this in units? You know, what is it? Is it an impact? Like, what is the metric that you're looking to win at? And it's all subjective and it all changes. And so again, like when it comes down to it, like, I love that you're talking about falling in love with the process because falling in love with the process is the only way that you can have that staying power that you need when you're not seeing the results. Yeah, and it's so true. Like you mentioned people talk about falling in love with the process, right? And I kind of sidewind over to the word discipline. Like you hear, gotta have discipline, gotta have discipline. Right. Like, I mean, how often do you hear people talk about how to build it? Because like, it's not one of these things where like you just fall out of the womb and you have discipline or you have it when you're 10 or 12 and then all of a sudden you have like, I know personally, like I've built discipline by literally starting at the very bottom of something and just staying on the process. And like, you know, Tim Grover, you know, talks about grinding and grinding and grinding. If you grind long enough and that's how you view it as grinding, you're going to be left with dust. Right. And at the same time, kind of going back to the dopamine hit, like reframing your brain and your mindset and your focus onto the dopamine hit being on the process and the the habits or the times you've done something and, and the activity as opposed to the result. Like he talks about forming. If you're grinding left to dust, you got to be forming. And, you know, one of the stories that I kind of remember vividly because it's something that impacted me along the way was like, you know, talking about an Olympic sprinter, Mm -hmm. you know, they have butterflies just like everybody else out there before a race. They've retrained their mind over however many times of races to take that same butterfly into, okay, you know what? This is me and my reaction to being excited. I'm excited. And maybe the first time you think about that doesn't have an impact, but after 30 times or 100 times or whatever, like now, instead of that being a debilitating, you know, freezing mechanism, it's an activation or an energy mechanism. And so it's taking that same exact thing and reframing it with your mind. And so like this stuff, you know, it's tedious and people talk about it all the time, but like going back to discipline, like, honestly, I hate the word discipline because of that same reason, because people talk about it all the time, but like, okay, well, how do you build it? No one talks about that. Right. It's funny you talk about, it. I've been told by a couple of people like, oh man, you just don't have fear. You're just fearless. I'm like, hell no, I have a lot of fear. I just do it anyway. 
right? I just do it anyway. I don't care. Like, you know, I'm scared. I mean, this market, you know, I'm scared, but do it anyway, right? At the end of the day, like, we're capable of so much more than we think we're capable of, like by a long shot. And you know, obviously David Goggin talks about that a lot. And, you know, your brain is shutting you down and much, much earlier than you really can. And we think about like running a mile, like you're always like, oh, I'm dying. And you start walking. Like, really, the truth is you just let yourself talk yourself down. And so when it comes to discipline, it's like a daily actions. And so many times people start like by thinking that they're going to be this person that's going to do 17 things a day. When it's like, no, just start with one thing a day, right? And so this is why, honestly, I don't love Gary Vaynerchuk's advice around social media because he comes in there and he says, you need to be putting 40 pieces of content out a day. And the loan officer's like, okay, anybody says this. I haven't put 40 pieces of content a day. And they do that once and like, screw this, this is too hard. Instead, what I always tell people is like, if you can start consistently posting once a day or even three times a week to start, all of a sudden you're going to start to build the muscle. You're going to start thinking of another post. Oh, now you've made three posts this week. I want to make another one. I'm going to make four. I'm going to make five. Now all of a sudden you're making 10. Next thing you know, you're doing 20. Next thing you know, you're doing 30. And it's like, it gets easier and easier because you're building that muscle. Same thing with video, same thing with anything really like reps. You know, we talk about this even on the sales side, like loan officers think they've been referral only their whole life, you know, marketing agency that generates leads and people come in thinking that they can treat the leads the same way they treat their referrals. And then they get mad and they say the leads are bad because they have no process and they didn't realize that they're learning a new skill set. They think that being a loan officer for 30 years is equivalent to knowing how to convert cold leads. Those are two separate skill sets. I'm sure you know that after taking a bunch of leads, right? Yeah. It's another thing. And people, again, people think they're going to learn that in 90 days and in 30 days and 60 days. It's never like that, right? Learning a new skill takes time and it's hard and it sucks especially when you've kind of got to the top, right? I mean, you know, I've run a lot of Facebook ads. I'm really good at Facebook and Instagram. So like now getting into YouTube and Google and it's like a whole nother platform. I'm just like, what the heck? Or like social media. I'm great on organic Facebook, but I'm over here on LinkedIn. I'm like, heck is this platform? I have no idea how to use it. Like no one engages. It's weird. People are boring on that platform. It's super pretentious. But like, again, this all mindset right now. And I'm just like, okay, I need to dig in and understand how the algorithm works. How do I engage on that platform? Like all of these things, because I'm like, I'm going to just try to do the same thing I do on Facebook. It doesn't work, right? So the stuff that you're talking about is for your business, right? Like expanding your business. Correct. Taking those same concepts and applying them to the lending industry, mortgage loan officers. Do you have any success stories or recommendations for someone if they wanted to scale or advertise? What's the best platform? What's the best place to maybe getting results? The platform that you stick to, in my opinion. I mean, you know, I'm big on Facebook organically and that's just my platform. You said the same thing, you're on Facebook, but I know loan officers that are winning on Instagram and crushing it. I know loan officers that are crushing it on TikTok. I know loan officers that are crushing it on LinkedIn. There's probably a loan officer out there crushing it on Craigslist. The truth is everything works. Facebook ads work, Google ads work, cold calling works, door knocking works. It all works if you do it consistently enough and you develop systems in order to close deals, right? People think that these things don't work. And it's like Quicken Loans and Veterans United don't spend millions of dollars on direct consumer lead gen because it doesn't work. They've just developed the process to convert people that are cold into closed deals, right? So again, like stop thinking, stop being so big in your head that you think, oh, because it didn't work for me, it doesn't work. That's not the truth. It just didn't work for you. And that's okay. Maybe that's not the thing that you should be doing. That's totally okay. Maybe the thing that you should be doing is just go shake more hands, go kiss more babies, Go network some more. You're a great networker. Maybe you're not a great salesperson, but you're a great networker. That's okay. It's a different skill set. Yeah. I mean, as you're telling that story, there's a story that comes to mind. I was at a author, podcaster conference 
Lewis Howes had an event in Columbus earlier this month or yeah, September. And this guy's name is Nicholas Hutchison. And he runs a platform called BookThinkers. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's interviewed Grant Cardone, Hormozy, you know, Vaynerchuk, Russell Brunson, like all these names. And this dude's young. He's like just turned 29. And he started the business with a day job, did this on the side, and all of a sudden, like a couple years in, like started to be able to transition. I was like, what was the first product that you sold? And it was XYZ. So I'm sorry, what they sell right now is they help authors promote their books. They sell services to help people, you know, use other people's audiences to get on their podcast and they have services around that. But he went through, he's like, you know, nine products failed. This thing failed, that thing failed, that thing failed. The 10th one took off. And like 99% of the people would have failed after the second, the third, the fourth one. And he kept on going. And like, that's the stuff that transcends. Like, you just got to keep going. Different iteration or a completely different lane, but not stopping. I agree, man. It's funny because I actually made a post just today that said the most elite baseball players out there bat 30% of the time, right? I think the record in a season is like, you know, 34% or something. Like I don't know the exact number. I know they do it by the 0.3, whatever. But regardless, 30% of the time they're at bat, they're hitting. That means they're failing 70% of the time and yet they're considered elite. And yet in business, we think that we should be batting it out of the park every single time. And that failure is a bad thing. And the truth is, I think failure is the best thing because failure is just opportunities to learn. Like what didn't work? Well, let's adjust. To me, failure is an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow. And honestly, I'm glad for failure. Like we talked about, I'm glad for times like these, not because it's fun, not because I'm like enjoying the fact that the market's hard. I mean, I would prefer an easy market, but it's forcing me to level up as a leader. It's forcing me to create better products. It's forcing me to be better at coaching. It's forcing me to have a better resilience. It's forcing me to manage money better. It's forcing me to do a whole lot of things, right? That's okay, right? Like there's always these seasons. You go through the growth periods and there's going to be some fun times, right? That'll come on the other side of this. Man, so much is going through my brain as you're you're talking about that, like, you know, pain, pain, struggle. It's hard to find somebody out there that's done elite stuff that hasn't gone through some shit, some real struggle. Right. And coaching, right? Like we're on this island running a business, running, you know, this entrepreneurial thing. Like I can't imagine not having a coach. I had several coaches along the way that have pushed me out of my comfort zone, held me kind of all these things. And like for your business, you know, the people that you work with, would you say there's a percentage of people that come to you that have never had coaching before and never had this extra help? Yes. There's a big misconception out there that those who can't do teach. I think this may be a misconception. Maybe it's a misnomer. There is some people that are like that. Like, let's be honest. There's people out there that are coaching that shouldn't be coaching. But there's also a lot of coaches that are very solid. They produce really well. We're actively producing. And just there's this idea that like you shouldn't be coached. And like, let's think about like, even what's the guy, a relentless guy. Tim Grover. Yeah, Yeah, Tim Grover, right? Like he was the coach for Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and a lot of these elite players. They already had a coach. They had a head coach. They probably had a physical trainer coach. They probably had a physical coach. Oh, I guess that was Tim Grover. But, you know, again, they had these coaches and it's not because they were lacking at something. It's not because they were failures. It's because they wanted to simply get better and they were driven to get better. And yes, there's definitely a portion of people that haven't never invested in their business before, have never invested in coaching before. Sometimes they think coaching is a scam. And in my opinion, like, sure, like there's probably some people out there. And unfortunately, you're probably going to buy into some stuff that sucks. And you're going to lose money on stuff. And that's okay. Again, failure is not a bad thing. Failure is an opportunity to learn. And, you know, I've learned something from every program I've been through, whether it's what not to do or whether it's what to do, right? I've learned something from every single program. I mean, unless they're like outright like scam you and like don't deliver anything, right? They're delivering something in general. And so people want to call something a scam. It's like, you know, again, like a lot of times willing to admit that they're the problem. 
right? Most of the time, totally. people don't want to admit that they're the problem. They want everything else. It's the lead's fault. It's the coach's fault. It's the economy. It's the market. It's the rates. It's the inventory. I'm like, get those words out of your freaking vocabulary. Yes, inventory is low. Yes, rates are high. Yes, there's fear in the market. Those things are not controllable by you. Only thing you can control are your actions on a daily basis. The way you, you know, present yourself, your mindset, the way you show up every single day, do the actions that you know are going to get your results, right? Yeah. Well, like, that's the thing is that this is a tough market. Like, I wouldn't have a podcast. I wouldn't have a platform called Strive for 25 that's official. This has been in my brain for six years. You know, how can I help the everyday person or somebody along the way, you know, get ahead and build wealth? Like, I never had a mentor in real estate, but I built a multi million dollar portfolio by just luck, really reading and all the stuff that you learn along the way. But I never had a mentor. It's like, oh, how can I help the next person, you know, get there faster, right? But it wasn't until that May, June, July of 2022, I was like, okay, it's time. It's time. Like the biggest thing that I kept, you know, questioning myself was, hey, there's all these thought leaders that are out there. You know, the Tony Robbins, Stephen Covey's and all these different people that are out there doing stuff and helping millions of people. Why would anybody ever listen to me? Yeah. And I don't know, really know how I got to this point in my mind, but like, I finally got to the point where like, you know what? It's my job to go find the people that need my help. There's yes. people who connect with me and, and they need me to go find them. And that was kind of this mantra that I had along the way that pushed me further along the way. Dude, and I like, freaking love this. I mean, like 15 months, I've been kind of going down this journey and I wouldn't be here without seeing the pain struggle and all this stuff going on. It's like, I turned 40 this year and like not to brag or boast, but just to kind of say, hey, like I feel like in my mortgage career, I've lived a pretty full robust career. I've been number one at multiple companies. I closed... 2,500 transactions, billions of dollars of business. Like that's a great career, but guess what? Like I haven't even hit my prime, right? Like what's the average age of a loan officer in the country? Probably mid to late forties, maybe higher. I don't know. I think it's 55. Yeah. Like I haven't even hit my prime yet. And like, I had to really soak that in. Cause like the doubts, the struggles, like, am I doing enough? There's so many things that I'm spending time on a million things, podcasting, social media, outreach, emails, this a million things. Like, What's the best use of my time? So there are all the doubts and struggles and fears and all these things, you know, we've all been there every single day. It's a battle, right? Sometimes I just have to like, holy shit, like I have all this opportunity in front of me and I haven't even reached my prime. I've done all these things, like the world of opportunities in front of me. Let's go make it happen. Let's go do it. That's stuff that is going through my brain right now. Like, damn, holy shit. You're right, man. And something that I tell people all the time around social media too is like, you don't have to change a million people's lives. You just got to change one, right? And so, I mean, I post some pretty vulnerable stuff that people probably would hate to post, but like, I find it partially relieving on my point to talk about, I don't normally talk about stuff that's hard in the moment, right? You don't have to post about like what's happening in the moment, but you can talk about the lessons that you learned going through those moments. I mean, the other day I talked about depression and going through a dark place. And this was, you know, early 2022, maybe even late 21. And I was just going through massive burnout, right? Again, I attached a lot of my business to ego, to just scaling into this sort of like arbitrary number in the sky and I burnt out. And you know, that's why I've learned a lot around sort of that dopamine release and like attaching it to the process because I went through it. And so I share that story. People reach out to me, say, hey, thank you for sharing. Like, I'd really appreciate it. I get calls from people. I've been on calls with multiple people that like, thank you so much. Like, this is awesome. And then I just share my story because I get it. Like, we're all dealing with stuff. We're all humans. And yet we show up on social media and we pretend like we're perfect. And that's BS right? Like we're humans yeah. and people are actually attracted to people that share that. Now I'm not saying go on social media and use it as a diary and, you know, talk about your bad day every single day. Cause you know, that's going to repel people away, but you know, there's a certain level of trust that gets built by being vulnerable and sharing the lessons and stories and struggles that you've gone through 
think a lot of people get onto social media thinking that they're going to, like you said, I mean, oh, I'm going to get some leads. So they post all this business stuff. And funny enough, all the business stuff mostly is not the stuff that brings the business. The stuff that brings the business is when you talk about yourself, your family, your struggles, you know, that kind of stuff. And obviously they have to know that you do that. So you do have to post about your business, but it's a smaller percentage of what you do. So I don't know if you think it's that a, way, but that's how I totally do it. I just saw a post this past week of you coming back from a, maybe an event and just like having kind of a little bit of a taking a break or burnout, just like yeah, taking a, yeah. whatever picture of you on the sofa, maybe just slouching. It's like, yeah, yeah that's yep. flipping on point. Like you have those days and it's okay to have those days. Like, yep. cause sometimes that's your body's way of telling you, okay, it's time to reset. Like I'm dealing with some personal stuff right now with, you know, one of my short-term rentals in Florida where I'm in a lawsuit with a management company and like they have my money. And then I had to give a deposit to the courts because we had an injunction and like cash is tight for that thing. And it's like all this stuff going on and like freaking out about a few things and like going to bed, shit's running through your brain. You know, mm-hmm. what if all the, what ifs, well, all the, what if, but then like waking up in the morning, I'm like, okay, ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to figure this out. Like, it's just crazy how like the feelings you have in one moment in time can be what they are. And they're all part of the process of being human. Right. Right. And then you fast forward the clock a day later or whatever later and your perspective on things changes. It's not fear, it's opportunity. It's not this, it's let's get it figured out. It's like, yeah. you can't get to here without here, you know, the struggle, yeah, the, the bad day, you know? So it's like, that's stuff that I have to worry about or, you know, understand. Yeah, no, absolutely. Big thing to talk about is, you know, a lot of times those struggles and things like that. But I also think like one of the things that I do is when I start to feel that little bit of anxiety or that whatever, that fear, I just, instead of thinking about like all the what ifs, because the what ifs, generally aren't going to happen. Fear is generally we're making stuff up in our brains about a future that probably is never going to happen. And so I always just try to shift into a mindset of like, oh, how do we fix it? Even in the middle of the night, like, so that's a big shift for me because like I used to wake up all the time, just stressed out, right? You starting a business like early on, I got like a hundred grand into debt early on in 2019 and, you know, got out of that. And so like, you know, I've gone through a lot of those sort of like ups and downs and obviously this market's not fun right now either. And, but again, every time I find myself ruminating on these negative thoughts, I just say, all right, well, how can I solve this problem? What are the actions that I can control? that can solve this problem. And man, the peace that comes and the clarity that comes from having those sorts of trains of thoughts just goes a long way, right? I have a question for you. You know, you're running a business that, you know, marketing, coaching, like that's a tough business to not only get into, but it also succeed in, especially right in this day and age, there's just more people trying to get into that lane. Was there a turning point or kind of a struggle or failure that just changed the trajectory of you saying, hey, you know what, this is going to work out versus, you know, not knowing. Honestly, I borrowed a lot of belief from, you know, some of the people that were mentors to me. So even early on, there was some very solid mentors of mine that were like, Oh, I know you're going to be big. I know you're going to do this. I know you're going to figure this out. And like, sometimes when you don't believe in yourself, you got to trust that other people know the truth. And you know, one of my coaches that I'll talk about is Rob. And he would always say that to me. And I'm like, maybe he says this to everyone, but he always made me feel like I was special and I was going to make it. And so during the times of doubt, I borrowed his belief to get beyond that. And there was a point where like, you know, I knew that coaching was a massive piece of the puzzle, right? Coaching has always been worth it for me. To me, I've found so much value. I mean, I have an executive coach now who's helping me level up and to be a real CEO, someone that can manage a team that goes to 10 million to 20 million to 30 million in, in business versus just a couple million, right? It's like different levels of success and different levels bring new devils. And so I'm a big fan of hiring people at the level that you are and where you're trying to get to, right? And some coaches may not be the same coach is going to stick with you. You know, it might just be, hey, this is a person for a season. It might be the person that gets you started. And then there's going to be a person that gets you to the next level and the next person. And so it's like, to me, it's like, I've also had ads coaches and sales coaches and things like that, right? All these different facets of my life. 
And so it's, I don't know, man, I don't know. There was like a specific turning point, but it was just more of that. I'm never going to give up type of thing. Right. So oh, yeah, man, appreciate it. I know we've kind of gone over a little bit on time here. So appreciate you so much for your time, Joel. There's one thing that you could go out there and do today to get business. I always like to leave this tangible thing for people at the end. If there's one thing that you would do today. What would you do to get business today? I mean, it's setting a number of calls or outreaches either a day or a week that you know you can do and just sticking to it, planning the next call, planning that next follow-up, putting it on the calendar. For me, that's the most important thing that I can do because we're doing a million things. It's easy to forget something, have that outreach, have the purpose for the next call written down on the next calendar. That's the thing that for me that's helping the most. Love it. Love it. That's awesome, man. So it's kind of like some takeaways for me was from today is showing up, even though maybe some days you don't think you can, or are you feeling a little bit of that imposter syndrome? Just show up, do the work every single day, fall in love with the process, get after it and stop allowing excuses to hold you back. So thank you so much, Joel, for your time today. If anybody wants to learn a little bit more about you, your podcast, talk to you or learn more about your team, where can they find you? Yeah, I mean, you can see my telephone number here. You can call me, text me 314-956-1580, or you can message me on Instagram at strive25 underscore. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. And for anybody who's listening, if you are looking for some help on flipping the status quo on real estate agents, go to flipthestatusquo.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.